Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. When flex is going a bit wrong, it's because we're making flexible work decisions that are often accidentally making life a bit harder for the people around us in, in what I describe as the landscape of our expectations. That's the voice of the lovely Gillian Brooks. She's the author of Flexperts, our latest Box at Work episode. Flexperts comes along as many of us are grappling with what flexible work actually is and how to make it work now we're on the other side of COVID. Gillian's message is that there is more work to be done to truly make flexible work work. But first, thanks for the incredible feedback on Belonging by Owen Eastwood. Please keep your thoughts and ideas for books coming, and if you're not already, follow Books at Work on Instagram. Flexbert's subtitle is Getting the Best from Flex in a World That's Ever-Changing, and it really does try to make it easy to do that. Around half the book works through a toolkit of guidance and practical activity to try and test to get flexible work, working for us as individuals, for our teams and for our organisations. While Gillian advocates that some form of flexibility is theoretically possible in any line of work, she says flex is complex and she's trying to make it easy for us. So what exactly is flex work? It's giving people choices about the hours, days and places of work. We're given a flex menu to help us with what flex work might look like. Let's run through what's on the Flexwork menu and the different phases of organisational maturity around Flex before we talk to Gillian. So, the Flex menu. It's got things on it like Flexi hours. This is working daily or weekly hours in a flexible way, like Flexi starting and finish times, taking a longer lunch break. There's part-time work. There's compressed hours, working agreed weekly hours over fewer days. There's job sharing. There's remote working, so working from home or somewhere other than the office some or all of the time. There's hybrid working, a working week that includes a mix of remote working and working from the office. That's what I'm trying to grapple with at the moment. There's flexi leave, buying additional leave to reduce the working hours or days. And then there's a shorter working week, shortening the working week for the whole workforce with no cut to pay in exchange for higher productivity. Flexperts helps provide context to flexible working arrangements today by describing the different levels of flex maturity in our workplaces and linking this to the levels of productivity and well-being to help us see how flex maturity impacts on these things. Gillian wants to help people move from frozen to fueled when it comes to flexible work maturity. This is a summary of how Flexperts describes what the different phases of maturity look like in an organisation. Phase one is frozen. This is the ice sheet. Formal flex work requests are needed. Full-time hours Monday to Friday are the default and being visible in person is highly valued. Typically managers feel very uncomfortable when they get a flex work request. In these organisations, presenteeism and management control are valued most. The next phase is called fragile. Here the ice is melting. Flexi hours, part-time and hybrid work are considered normal. However, no one is really sure how far flex will go and what is considered acceptable. Managers also feel uncomfortable as more people want to work from home or try other types of flex. 
Then there's phase three, which Gillian calls fueled. Here we are moving towards solid ground. These organisations regularly measure flex. Team members are more accountable for delivering the work than they used to be because they highly value the autonomy they've been given. Nothing is off the table because the benefits of flexible work are clear and visible to everyone. And the final phase is when you reach the flexbird phase. You are on new and solid ground. Your organisation has a great reputation for flexibility. People value belonging to a place that enables them to do their best work, while also having space for the other important aspects of their lives. Well-being, productivity and creativity are valued most in these organisations. Do you recognise where you, your team or organisation sit within these phases? Well, let's talk to Gillian about how we can get the best from Flex in our working worlds. So welcome to Books at Work, the lovely Gillian Brooks. Uh, hi Gillian, how are you? Oh well, thank you Anna. Yeah, how are you? Oh, I'm very excited about this conversation because I love your book and I love you. So first question that we always ask, as you know, uh, is uh, what's where in the world are you and what's the view out your window today? Yeah, so I am at home in Newtown, Wellington, where I've lived for quite some time, over a decade, and the view out my room is high density housing so (laughs) (laughs) makes me feel you know as a person from south london it makes me feel safe to be around other people yeah nice (laughs) nice right well let's get into the practical things in flex birds um because yeah really as you know really keen to share tools and the real practical useful things for leaders and teams um so yeah first question is how would you describe what flexible work could and should look like for for people in an organization what what what's the ideal great question so ideally what i would love the world to have access to is true choice in their flexible work options um when people have access to real choices about their hours days and place of work that's when we can really access the benefits so um you know giving people even if it's hard you know in some of those more operational frontline roles the more space we can give people to have meaningful choice the more likely it is that we're going to get those benefits of things like productivity well-being and staff retention so that's kind of the mission I'm on yeah so when you say choice do you mean choice about where they work or what they do or what yeah what do you what do you mean in in relation to the flexible work thing yeah, so it could be, um, so so long as people are able to have some choices in at least one of those variables about hours, days and or place of work, then that would fit into the frame of flex. So um, for some people, it might be picking their shift pattern and, and having access to that, particularly in the short term. People really value being able to flex those things depending on what they've got coming up that week or those sorts of things. Or for other people, it might be access to hybrid or remote work, which is um, a, com- a hybrid being combination of working from the office and from home. Um, what we're finding increasingly is that we've, because of the last three years, lots of people had have already 
done lots of experimenting with flexible workplace and more people now are looking for options to flex their hours and days as well. So how do we kind of um, open that choice up so that more people have more choices? Um, and for those people who haven't had access to working from home because the nature of their work doesn't make it very easy, how do we how do we sort of um, start to think differently about how we can organise their work? So perhaps if they've got some um, report writing that's part of their job or some paperwork they have to do, that that stuff becomes more um, available to them from different places such as from home as well. Cool. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the tools that you've got to help people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did want to um, talk quite early on about that question that you ask people when they're, um, when they're discussing flexible work, which is, what's the number one challenge people face with flexible work? So you ask people that. Uh, what sort of answers do. do you get to that? The most common answer is, disconnection I feel disconnected from my colleagues I used you know people kind of have that um looking back to particularly to to pre-pandemic times and and they recall some of the the good things that they used to take for granted which was working together same time same place with people that they really like connecting with and now that's become harder it's one of the downsides of flex that we need to kind of face up to and have some new ways of working and engaging with each other so that we can stay connected. Um, we have that sense of belonging when we're kind of connected with our colleagues. And we also have the ability to innovate and drive long-term productivity in our organisations when we connect with people who um, are further and wider outside in our organisations as well, because we get the clashing and colliding perspectives happening. So there's a, there's a few really good reasons to really prioritise that connecting um, and finding new and different ways to do that's really vital right now. Hmm. Okay, cool. So keen to kind of get your perspective about why flex actually matters. And you talk about um, the fact that it's important for flexible work to have a connection to strategy. What what do you mean by that? I think one of the things um, that strategy can create is that sense of certainty in your organisation that flex is here to stay, and that it plays a really a really important part of um, our workforce strategy um, in particular. So um, when senior leaders can get really clear about why flex matters to their organisation, it might be something like we want to have more diversity in our um, decision making. And so we need to make, you know, kind of senior roles more accessible to more people, for example. Or it might be we're growing as an organisation and to grow and to attract and retain the right people, we need to offer more options to more people so that we effectively widen our um, the labour market that we have access to. Those are the sorts of things I'm, I'm thinking about when I think about kind of connection to strategy. What strategic connection does Flex have for us? And then when that story is consistently told in the organisation through all the senior leaders, the confidence that it's here to stay means that people feel safer in their teams to get bolder with flex and braver and try new and different things. And when people can do that in a really um, kind of in the way that I kind of lay out in the book, um, that's when you get to really access more of the benefits. So it's more likely then to play the strategic role that you know it can. 
in the book, you talk about the three ingredients for flexible work. And uh, the other ingredient is leadership and um, the impact of leadership and leaders on flexible work. Can we just spend a little bit more time exploring that? Why, why is our leadership style so important in the context of flexible work and making it successful or unsuccessful? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure this won't be a surprise to anyone. The The idea that um, so often when I start working with organisations, people say to me that the access that they have to flex is highly dependent upon their leader. The, the personality type may be, um, they might be a leader who's um, really uh, benefited from flex themselves in their own career. And so they kind of really want to share that. And they're on a bit of a personal mission to kind of be someone who enables that for more people. Or conversely, there might be someone who feels really uncomfortable with all those moving parts and, and would much rather have everyone kind of working in a similar way as far as possible. And so they're kind of really conservative in terms of what they feel comfortable with when it comes to flex. What leadership as a as an ingredient of that, you know, kind of shifting the flex maturity and, and therefore the benefits that you have access to in your organization. Um, the key part of leadership is having much more common, consistent mindset and approach to flex um, that's no longer de dependent upon the personality or the lived experience of the, of your personal leader, that you can kind of guarantee that there's a much more um uh, yeah, that consistency. And when you've got that, then um, then people feel confident taking up the tools, which is the third ingredient. There's strategy, leadership and tools. Um, they feel confident taking up those tools because they're going to be received in the right way with their leader and with their senior leaders as well. So I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit more about those um, characteristics of those three leadership uh, styles that you've got in the box. So you've got leaders who are pro-flex, those that are flex hesitant and those that are flex averse. Is there any anything or any tip that you can give if you think you are in one of those categories yeah. Yeah. to either get out of it or <laughs> um, accentuate it if you are a pro flex yeah. leader? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the flex aversion is someone who really just just hates the idea, and you know they just want everyone in the office all the time um, at the same time because it's easier that way. And I think what I'm noticing is that that population of leaders has kind of really um, really disappearing now, actually, because those who were in that category pre-COVID have sort of the issues been forced a lot more, right? And so um, that's no longer really a big issue for most people. Where we're at now is that the the flex hesitancy is definitely um, still still there and in some cases often valid, right? And, and the reason I say that, which might be kind of not something people would expect me to say, is because there's often a rub between providing more flex opportunities and delivering the work or at least a perception of those two things being at odds with each other. And the flex uh, hesitancy is often from a leader who has a real delivery focus and a lot of expectation on them and their team. And their concern is that if we dial up flexibility, it's going to cause a real delivery problem for us. And so to kind of push past that, it's there's, there's some tools in, in the book which help you really kind of understand and get really clear about what does delivery look like for me right now. So I can stress test that before I start to kind of think about what are the valid options for me in terms of how I flex my work. And so that kind of 
um, helps the, the flex hesitant leader move forward with some confidence that they're not going to accidentally create a new problem for themselves. Yeah. The flex, sorry, the pro flex leader, um, that's kind of the next stage up, which is where we want people to get to. There is still a downside to that, though, right? That quite often a pro flex leader, what they haven't really, um, you know, some of the some of the limits sometimes of that is that so long as I'm okay with it and it's it's okay in our team, let's keep moving um, and let's go with it. And sometimes there, there are broader interests and uh, knock-on effects onto other teams in other parts of the organization or even outside the organization. And so there's a there's a tool there again in the in the book to help people just map out who are the people and the interests outside of the team that I need to represent before, again, I start thinking about what, what flex might look like for me so that we don't accidentally um, start to be perceived as making choices that other teams might start to resent, which is a, a bit of a shadow side sometimes of the pro flex leader. So I really like that, Gillian. I hadn't really thought too much about the shadow side of the, the pro flex leader. So thank you for that. Um, now, I was lucky enough to be part of the launch of your beautiful book, uh, Flex Birds, And I noticed in some of the discussion and the questions that came through, there were questions about kind of leaders' nervousness to embrace uh, flexibility. And just wondering if there are any kind of tools or tips about how you can influence your leader or other leaders to become more comfortable and try things with mm. with flexible work options. Any any tips there? One of the things in the book actually is is having these regular proactive flex team discussions using the tools in the book to guide that conversation. What that enables is that there's um we can try stuff without feeling like we've committed to it forever. And I think that's often where people feel anxious to move forward and be bolder and braver when it comes to flex, because you kind of think, oh goodness, if it doesn't work, then what? And one of the things I really advocate for is as you have these conversations, say every three to six months is what I recommend teams do, is when you've decided what it is you're going to try next, is that you also set up a bit of a, a simple review process. And that can be as simple as, um, tracking the measure of the, the question, how well is flex going for you right now on a scale of one to 10? And what you can do and agree as a team is um, that we need to each individually have the score that's at least as high next time that we meet. Because what you don't want to happen is that there's a bit of a zero sum game going on where a couple of people in the team are having a much better experience and they're loving it, but it might be at the expense of a couple of other people, right? And so what we can do is set up a review that means that we're all benefiting ultimately. Um, and that makes people feel safer to move forward. And actually, if we haven't achieved that kind of success factor at the end of our next experiment, then we need to reset and try something else. And that just is much more permissive and clear and transparent for everybody that we all need to be benefiting here. It's not just about me personally, but it's about us as well. So that sounds uh, beautiful and really high functioning teams. Um, but how does that work when there are teams that there isn't that level of trust or connection that you can have those sort of open conversations yeah. and really kind of tease out what's working and what, what isn't? How, how, how does that work? It's a really good question. I think one of the things I, I you know, as earlier on in the book is this idea of what does a high trust flex culture look like in our teams? And, and what that requires is 
is that open, transparent, shared understanding about those two perspectives of delivery and well-being. So if we want our high trust culture in our team and in our organization around Flex, we need to have a common, consistent way of exploring what does delivery look like for me right now? And we need to also have a, a you know, that clear and consistent way of looking at what does well-being mean for me right now in terms of what's the well-being benefit I'm looking for from my flexible work arrangements. And when you've got those two perspectives, um, that's where high trust can live. But if people aren't willing and able to share that stuff in a meaningful way with their team members, the empathy is not going to be there. They're not going to build that sense of um, how do we all benefit from this as well as me individually, um, which is part of the team approach to to getting the best from Flex. Um, and and ultimately, there's a there's a quote in the book which I always refer to in my training sessions as well, which is the Eleanor Roosevelt one, which is with freedom comes responsibility. So if people want more freedom and autonomy over their hours, days, and or place of work, there's also some responsibility which is is perfectly reasonable to expect people to take on in order that they access more of those choices. So that leads me into the questions I was going to ask about delivery and well-being. So you've covered them off, so thank you. Um, but just that whole idea of flexible work being the overlap between delivery and well-being, where did you where did you come up with that from? Like how that how did you come up with that yeah. concept? So often people talk about a win-win from Flex, or sometimes there's four wins in that, you know, <laughs> because it's got to work for the team and for the organisation and for the stakeholders and everyone. And yes, I agree with all that. But as a manager, that feels such a heavy responsibility. It's like, yeah, you can do what you want so long as everybody's happy. I mean, how on earth mm. do you navigate that in a in a meaningful way it feels really heavy right so that's kind of why I wanted to have something that was simpler for for us to explore and the the reason I came up with delivery and well-being is because when it comes to the litmus test for an employer um, about a flexible work arrangement the first thing we often think of is can I still make sure delivery happens you know, if someone wants to request flex, that's fine, but actually we we still got a job to do. And it's not that we don't care about well-being, we absolutely do, but actually it can't be at the expense of delivery. We still need to find a way to get the work done. So that's the the win or the, the priority from the perspective of the employer. From uh, the perspective of an employee, when we're requesting a flexible work arrangement, it's often because we want... Uh, access to um, higher levels of well-being. And when I talk about well-being, what I mean is I, te I take Amartya Sen's work, which, you know, he's kind of the, the founding father of well-being economics. And the way he frames well-being is we access well-being when we can be and do what we value and have reason to value. And so I take that really broad approach to well-being. It's not just about fitness or, you know, kind of um, physical health. It's a much broader idea. And often when people are re requesting a different way of working, it's because they they want to have a bit more of the things they value and have reason to value. And if we've got a shared way of exploring that as well um, and achieving that win for ourselves, as well as the win for delivery, that's where the gold lies in terms of getting the best from Flex. You're so clever, Gillian. For our listeners, Gillian and I know each other, so I just love hearing her insights and the way she thinks. So that's very cool. Thank you. In that delivery segment, you have this uh, thing called the landscape of expectations. Can you describe that and why it matters and kind of how it works? 
Yeah, yeah. So the the landscape of expectations is really the the purpose of that is to avoid this culture of entitlement. So often when flex is going a bit wrong, it's because we're making flexible work decisions that are often accidentally making life a bit harder for the people around us in in what I describe as the landscape of our expectations. Um, so what I get people to do, what this tool is designed to do is, so if I'm someone in, you know, let's say, Anna, I'm working for you, right? If I'm in your team and I've got this idea about how I want to work differently, my responsibility first is to map out who are the people around me in my team, in the wider organization, um, maybe other stakeholders, customers, partners, you know, all these other people that I connect with in my work um, on a typical week or fortnight. Who are those people that really matter who are relying on me? I map those out in my landscape. And then what I've got to do is to really kind of make sure that I'm aligned with them, that we've got the same uh, set of assumptions as each other before I start making big you know, or even small changes to the way I'm working. Because what I see going wrong sometimes is when we haven't done that work, we can find ourselves kind of just making life harder for other people around us. And that's where the resentment starts to build up. And over time, they'll I'll be perceived as entitled rather than um, really meaningfully trying to get the best from Flex as a, as a member of a wider community at work. And what about uh, the kind of tools for the well-being piece? What, what, what's yeah. one one tool that you could talk about? So I think the, the most popular one is the one on boundaries, the boundaries between work and home. And the, the tool, it's a really simple tool that comes from boundary theory, which is, you know, kind of um, academics have been chipping away at since the early to mid-1990s. And what that's about is, understanding what are my preferences at the moment in terms of how I manage my boundaries between work and home and not just what's my preference but what's my reality because what we find is that for people who have a big gap between their preference and reality in terms of how they manage those boundaries that gap is effectively stressful to manage um, and so what we're looking for is to get our reality as close as possible to our preference so that we um, we can get the well-being benefits on you know that are potentially on offer for us in terms of how we're setting up our work arrangements and those preferences are, are, are set along a continuum At one end of the continuum there's a segmenter and the other end is an integrator. Now, a segmenter is someone who likes to have behavioral and physical boundaries between work and home. And an integrator is someone who likes to permeate those boundaries or flex and move them around a lot. And it's just a matter of preference. And the preference isn't static, that depending on what else you're managing in your life, like if you've got lots of caring responsibilities, there's research to show that you're more likely to be less stressed if you're able to segment more because you're not trying to be all things to all people right. all the time right yeah. <laughs> but what that also shows is that yeah we when we've got less kind of in our lives going on and we've got not so many hats we're wearing in our lives that we perhaps might want to integrate a bit more so that's one of the reasons i really advocate for teams to have these conversations quite regularly so that when we check in with ourselves about what do i need right now and how might that be evolving and then share it with my team in a way that builds that empathy. Like you were saying, if the team's not got that 
working really really smoothly yet these tools actually build that empathy across the team as well um, and you can just start with one of these tools at a time I always say to managers when I'm training them you're the curator of this toolkit it's not up to me to say right you have to you have to use the whole lot or not at all absolutely not it, if you just start with one tool that you think yeah this is going to really suit us and serve a need um, start there you know and, and often the boundary one is a, is a good place to begin Great. So what does it look and feel like when a team or an organisation has that balance between delivery and well-being kind of nicely balanced? Yeah, that's when there's that confidence and commitment that we know how to do this, that we're not going to accidentally create new problems for ourselves um, when we're becoming more flexible. That's often the fear. And so the reason I wanted to write the book and share it as widely as we can is because the feedback I get from managers is that they do get that confidence when they've got this set of tools with them. They do feel that they've got the tools they need and they've got the confidence now to kind of um, manage a flexible team without all of the heaviness and the, the headaches that they've perhaps had up until now. Um, and then therefore they get the benefits, the things of, you know, it's a it's a much more positive team. They've got those kind of productivity benefits that they can start to access, well-being. And, you know, there's that burnout risk that lots of organizations are managing right now. So the burnout risk really reduces and the well-being boost is is there. And they keep hold of their people for longer. Um, which is great, right? In a tight labour market like we've got right now, who wouldn't want to keep hold of you good people? Thank you so much, Gillian Brooks, the author of Flexperts. So now on to our Flexperts Take 5 to take and use now. One, flexible work is giving people choice about the hours, days and where they work. Two, the biggest challenge to flex work is disconnection. Three, delivery and well-being are the essential flex tools. Delivery helps clarify what's expected of you right now in your role. Well-being is what you gain when you are able to understand and work in ways that fit your situation and preferences. Four, a key tool is the landscape of expectations. This helps avoid a sense of entitlement creeping in. Five, flex is a team thing. Discuss it. Rank out of 10 how successful you are with this whole flexible approach. Discuss what works for each team member and agree outcomes and measures to track progress. Do that every three to six months or so. I do love it when you let me know what you think of the Books at Work episode. So please keep the feedback and suggestions for books coming and follow Books at Work on Instagram for updates on new books and episodes. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books at Work, making work better.